Hi, friends. This is episode 20 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us again for another episode. For those of you that are just joining us, I want to make sure that you know on our website, thebiblelab.com, you can get a free copy of the study guide that everyone at the live session is taking a look at as we go through the discussion. So if you head on over there to our website, thebiblelab.com, you can get your own free copy and that might help you follow along even better. Now today is an incredible session because as we continue continue our series, My New Life, we take a look at what does the Holy Spirit do to help us even understand what sin is? How does it help us understand that better? And ultimately, how does the Holy Spirit help us to understand God's will for our life? If you've ever wondered what God's will is for your life, you want to listen all the way to the end. So I invite you to sit back, relax, and welcome to the Bible Lab. Here we go, number one. I prefer to follow rather than to lead. I prefer to follow rather than to lead. We're a mixed crowd here. It looks about 50% of you say yes. The rest of you, it appears, are mostly I don't know. And I think I know the reason. Because your question to me is, well, who's leading, right? I'll never forget uh, when I was a youth pastor years and years ago, uh, I was given this uh, children's story up front. And I love rhetorical questions with children's stories uh, because you never know what the kids are going to say. And so I start out my children's story and say, hey, have you ever been in a car and you're trying to follow somebody, but they're, they're kind of a bad leader and they like go through the yellow light and it's a red light and you can't follow them or they, they drive really fast and it's really difficult to follow. And this one kid raises his hand, and without me even pointing to him, he says, my dad does that, and it drives my mom nuts. (laughs) As you can imagine, it took me a while to finish my children's story. (laughs) Number two, growing up, the most common definition of sin I heard was that it is a transgression of God's law. Oh, okay, good. So I'm seeing... It looks like about 98% yes and about 2% no. Okay, we're solid on that. Most of you grew up hearing the definition of sin as sin is a transgression of God's law. Okay, that's good to know. Number three, the Holy Spirit guides me out of more bad situations than into good ones. (laughs) Why was there a grumble throughout the crowd? Grumble, grumble. Ah, it looks like a lot of no's and a lot of I don't know's. You have no idea what I'm saying there, and a a few yeses. You have no idea what I just said. Okay. Number four, I have discovered God's will for my life. I have discovered God's will for my life. This is what I expected. I expected to see 50% yeses and 48% I don't know's. (laughs) And 2% no. We're going to specifically deal with that today. And it's encouraging for me to see where this crowd is because I think this will be a very 
transformational conversation that we're going to have today as you deal with answering that question. Hopefully by the time we're leaving, you'll have a little bit more clarity. And number five, last one. If God offered to show me just one thing from the future, I'd ask to see something regarding church politics. What? You guys, you guys are not interested in church politics? Come on! 99% no. And a few people, yes. There's a probably conference administrators who are visiting us today. Welcome. We're glad you're here. I appreciate my paycheck. We're going through a series here on your new life. And what we are truly focusing in on is the Bible says that you can have a new life in the Spirit. From the time of Pentecost to the time of the second coming, Scripture tells us you have an option to live a new life. So what we're taking a look at here over the next several weeks is, well, what does that mean? How does it truly give me something new? What does it change in in my daily life and in my overall view of my upcoming life? How does living your life in the Spirit give you a new life? And today we're taking this next step in saying, okay, so if you invite the Holy Spirit in, what are some of the advantages? What are some of the benefits that you gain by having the Holy Spirit in your life? The section that we're going to look at today is in John chapter 16. But before we step into verses 7 through 11, I want to ask you a real world question. And I definitely want to ask it after seeing the responses there in the yes and no section. My question is, what is sin? And how does the Holy Spirit help you to not sin? So what do you think? Raise up some comment cards, question cards. We'll have a microphone come to you. Marilyn's got one right there. Got another one back here. Marilyn, what is sin? And how does the Holy Spirit help you? I find the most challenging verse in Romans 14, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So when I'm trying to make a decision and I'm looking more for security or safety or, you know, not an inconvenience, you know, I I recognize, is this a faith? Is this a faith? Am I moving, making a decision based on faith? Am I trusting God? And, And that is a challenge. It, it really is. I'm, I'm really glad you went to Romans chapter 14. That whole chapter is trying to help you as a believer understand how do you not cause your brother to sin or your sister. Let's be gender inclusive here. I love how it starts out in verse 2, and I'm shocked that in not one single Seventh-day Adventist cafeteria Uh, across the world that I know of, I have never seen a sign that a student has posted in the cafeteria quoting Romans 14, verse 2. I'm shocked because it starts out by saying, do not look down on another's faith, a faith that is so weak 
that it only allows them to eat vegetables. If you don't believe me, look it up. I'm shocked that hasn't been posted in any of our cafeterias. But it's a chapter that wrestles with what is sin and what is not sin. And how do you live a life that doesn't cause your brother to sin? We're going to deal with that in, in detail in the future. But I love that chapter because it is individuals wrestling with what is sin. Back here. I, in searching after the warm-up, uh, was turned off by Wikipedia and everyone starting with that sin was transgression of the law because that was hammered in at church. Yeah. We actually had a lady that would say, don't smile at Sabbath. And it's like, what does that mean? <laughs> but uh, Is that like, working? <laughs> it didn't work for us. Smile. No, I mean, smile is working. <laughs> but um, as you research it, if you go deeper into the definitions, what I liked, I think, applies to the lab, and it says something that endangers your relationship with God. Very good. I love that. I'm reading in the message. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. Yes. Thank you, Mary Kay, for jumping ahead. <laughs> You're the teacher's pet. You're reading ahead. Because where did you just read that from? John chapter 16. Exactly. That's right in the section where we're going. Yes. Who is next? You, sir? Sin to me is when I perceive something which will benefit me, even though I know it's wrong and committed it, whether it's a lie, whether it's you know, lusting in my heart, okay. uh, whatever it might be, that it benefits me. Okay. Even though I know it's improper, it's wrong. Okay, so you see sin as anything that is self-serving over other-serving. Yes. Okay, so it's, it's viewing self as most important. Okay, go ahead, John. Something that will cause suffering for others or myself. Okay, okay, so John says it's something that causes suffering for your, others or yourself. Harvey. Sin is a human solution. And what do you mean by that? Because I like it, but I want to make sure what you mean by that. Facing any problem that comes my way, it's my solution. Mm. So you're the one who has to resolve in your mind how to get out of a situation? Or... No, that's sin. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to put it when in other words. I, yes. When I solve this problem myself, I am sinning. Okay. It's using your own wisdom, your own knowledge and understanding because you're smart enough to get yourself out of it. Yeah, I know okay. what's going on. I'm a pretty good guy. Okay, good. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, yes. <laughs> yes. Could sin be an attitude of rebelliousness? And the Holy Spirit works by helping us to know and trust God more? That's a great, great question. That's a great question. Was there one over here before I missed somebody? Go ahead, Terry. I remember we, I studied this back in uh, middle school in our Bible class, and the consensus of the class, which back in Ohio was maybe 20 kids, okay. uh, we came to the conclusion that any time there's a lack of communication with God, that is sin, or that's also when sin happens. Okay. So it's not communicating at all, that's sin. Okay, so it's a, a disconnect in a Correct. relational way from God, no communication at all? 
Correct. Okay, good. I like that. Emily. Um, I remember always being told sin is a transgression of the law because there is a verse that says sin is transgression of the law. <laughs> but Jesus also said the whole of the law is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, so, you yeah. know, anything maybe that's not enacting that love could be sin. I love that you said that. How many of you were here uh, when we did Life in the Wilderness and we talked about the Ten Commandments as wedding vows? Thanks to Raul. Yes. What Emily just said, you heard in a whole different way, because you see the law not as rules, but you see it as wedding vows. You see it as a love commitment relationship. Yes, back here. Hi. I love to sin. Don't sometimes. we all? <laughs> yes, it's and my then, favorite. And then yeah. sometimes, sometimes I sin because I do not know. Yeah. And then the Holy Spirit works on the heart and transforms it. I love it. I love where you went with that, Heinz, because that's exactly what Scripture tells us in John 16, where we're going. Yes, back here. Rather than seeing sin as something what we do or something that is done, I see it in Psalm uh, 51.5 where it says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So I see sin, from my understanding of the Bible, as a state of being. Mm -hmm. And so we are sin. Hmm. And so therefore... We, you know, the idea that I'm going to do something right, even if I were to do something right, I'm doing it from a sinful state of being, a sinful motive, yeah. which shows just how utterly depraved I am. So as far as how much I need a savior yeah. to initiate even the desire not to sin. That's a very interesting point. Over here. Yes, Betsy. I remember when I was teaching Sabbath school years ago, I read the book by Josh McDowell, and he was using the principle that anything that is not consistent with the character of God, if it's the opposite of that, that was sin. So that's how okay. kids could know what was wrong. You look at who God is, and if you're not doing... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, uh, when I was graduating from college, just starting pastoral ministry at 92, 93, um, we all had these little uh, uh, bracelets and T-shirts and coffee mugs and everything else that said, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And that was a litmus test for a lot of people in the early 90s as far as saying, is this right or wrong? What would Jesus do? Would he do it or not? Back here. Dovetailing on what Betsy said, I'm reminded of 1 John and walking yeah. in the light. And if you're not walking in the light, you're walking in the darkness, which, okay. I, which sin supports. So in, in one sense, I think that sinning would be willfully selecting to stray into the darkness rather to, than to remain in the light. Ah, very, very good point. One more over here. When I was growing up, my parents um, emphasized that sin was um, anything like that's it that separates you and your affects your relationship with God, which I think helps me in understanding how the spirit would be involved because his role is to nurture and teach and improve your relationship. Yeah. And, um, but also it helps to keep the eye off of the, the tendency to fall into works or actions because it's a relationship. Yeah. And uh, that is what helped me. Ah, excellent. I love it. I want us to dive in. I, there's some comments. We're going to come to you, but I want us to dive into the scripture to have an extra filter as we've basically pulled the crowd and said, yes, this is kind of how we see it. We've been brought up, most of us, 
If you recall our yes and no questions, most of us said we were brought up being taught that sin is a transgression of God's law. But many of you in defining sin in the past few minutes said something quite different. And so let's take a look at scripture and then let's come back and discuss. So if you will, follow along on the study guide, John chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11, which says, and this is Jesus speaking, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So looking at that, I want us to come back to how have we defined, historically defined sin, and what did Jesus himself, from his very lips, the very breath that he breathed, he tried to help define sin in the same way that we're going to take a look at here in a moment, he had in the past. So according to verses 8 and 9, how does the Holy Spirit prove the world to be wrong about sin? How does the Holy Spirit prove the world to be wrong about sin? Would you like to speak to that? Okay. Um, well, I was thinking beforehand, and I think it's still applicable here, but it's, um, I just recently read a quote that said, uh, meekness is giving in to God, weakness is giving in to self. I love it. I love it. Yes. Take that where you want. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Yes. Um, by the word of God, or Jesus, the fact that you don't know him is a sin. That you don't know him. So when you read, like Matthew 24, when people say, look, we did all this in your name. We, we even went to the Bible lab every week. And God says, I, do I know you? Yeah. So knowing God is important. Not knowing God. Because if you don't know Jesus, you don't know where he was now. Or he went. Yeah. And he's coming. Yeah. And the condemnation. Everything mm -hmm. is Jesus. Yeah. Don't know Jesus. We are totally lost. Wow, excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, Marilyn. I didn't really like that translation of verse 8. I know. Let's just put a magic <laughs> marker through it. Yeah, yeah mine is a King James. Uh, he will reprove the world of sin. See, that's better because when the Holy Spirit comes in, if we could just have the Holy Spirit come in and point to our friends, our neighbors, especially the jerk <laughs> that does us wrong, and reproves them, and the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, whap! With the heavenly ruler on the back of their hand, don't you do it again. That's much easier than what the Bible literally says. Well, no, no, no. Well, <laughs> it's okay. What I, what I get from I, You know I'm teasing you. You yeah. know I'm teasing you. Go ahead, Marilyn. Um, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 4.12. Mm -hmm. You know, the word of God is... Quick and active, a double-edged yes. sword, sharper, yes. piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit. Yes. To me, that, ver that verse, that he will reprove the world of sin, mm -hmm. reassures me that he is my mirror. He will convict me when I'm off track. He will enlighten me. He will lead me in the way. 
He will not leave me to my own devices. Yeah. He, you know, he will reveal me to myself so yes. I can cooperate. Yes. We have evidence of what you're saying in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, which is nice because it shows the Holy Spirit in your life can help you not only know when you're off the path, verses 18 and 19 are very clear in Galatians 5, about what are the signs to know you're off the path. The interesting thing is how Paul says that, is that those things happen in your life and you don't recognize them because the Holy Spirit's in your life. You have those things in your life because the Holy Spirit's not in your life. And where I was kind of teasing you a little bit is because when you look at the language in John chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, I read more commentaries than I probably should have on this because I wanted to make sure that the responsible treatment of the language of Christ right here in this chapter is what we apply. With these words being words in red, they're extra important to understand what does it mean when Jesus says that when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. What does that mean? Because if it simply means the Holy Spirit's going to come and with a sword poke or slice those to the quick who are doing evil, we have to stop and ask the question, what does that say about the character of God? Because if it does not appear loving, we've got to look at it. And we have to compare all of Scripture, what it says, and also look at the language and say, how is that language used in the time that it was spoken or wrote in Scripture? And so as we look at what does it mean when he says in the next verse, verse 9, about sin... Because the people do not believe in me, Christ is specifying. How is it that the Holy Spirit will come and convict people? Because you can use that word different ways. The Holy Spirit, according to the verbiage here, is not coming and saying, let me help you on a journey. Although we see elsewhere in Scripture that the Holy Spirit does, in fact, help to guide you in your journey, in this usage, what Christ is saying is there's one thing, it's the most important thing in all of God's creation. Do you believe in God or not? And the Holy Spirit's role, when He comes into people's lives, His initial impact in someone's life is to convict them of what is truth. Was Jesus really the Son of God? Or was he just another of the great prophets? Was he a fake? Or was he real? And what Jesus himself said is that when the Holy Spirit comes into the world, it will prove the world to be wrong about him. It's not proving you wrong about your behavior. It's proving you wrong about your beliefs. And if you take a step back and, and you see, why would Jesus say this? Why would this be so important to Jesus? And you go all the way back through Christ's experience with humanity, all the way back to his very first relationship with humanity that he came to repair. The very first relationship was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
How many commandments existed in the Garden of Eden? One. What was the commandment? Don't eat. Don't eat. Oh, my word. Those of you that had kids, you totally understand. If you were to tell your kids, okay, kids, it's Christmas time. I only have one rule. One rule for all of you kids. Sit down. Are you listen to me? Good. Do not go into mom and dad's closet. We don't want you to know what's in our closet. It will ruin your Christmas surprise. Don't go in. Don't you dare leave them alone in the house. If I want kids to do something, I say, don't touch. Don't, do, don't you eat that. Don't you dare eat that broccoli. Are you, no, 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 you're going for it. Don't you eat it. That's silly, but when you look at the devil's strategy in the Garden of Eden, the verbiage of the devil to Adam and Eve, was God really, did God really say that? This beginning of undermining this trust, this belief that God has your best interest in mind. If you fast forward to Christ's very beginning of his ministry, he, in Matthew chapter 4, he's baptized, he comes out of the water, Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, he comes, and the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. In Matthew chapter 4, it walks us through Ten temptations, one for each of the Ten Commandments, right? No. How many temptations are there? Three. Three. Three temptations. First temptation. Food. Jesus, you're hungry. God helps those who help themselves. Why don't you take these rocks and turn them to rolls? The very first rock and roll controversy in the Bible. (laughs) No, you don't understand. You think I did that one for you. I did that one for me. <laughs> I got to laugh inside every now and then. Jesus responds. And what words does he respond with? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus came up with those words on the spot, didn't he? Just, hey, here's a good comeback. No. In your scripture, if you look, In Matthew chapter 4, and you look, Jesus says that. It's the red letters. It's easy to find. There's always a superscript letter after it, isn't there? And if you follow that superscript letter down to your margin, you see that Jesus did not write those words on the spot. He was quoting Scripture. He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. If you go in your Bible and you look at the subheadings, These smart theologians have said, well, this section of scripture belongs together. This is about this. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8, it's a section where the children of Israel are just coming into their promise. And it is a section of scripture in in which God is trying to instruct the people, how do you live in your new life in this promised land? And this section of scripture, Deuteronomy 6 through 8, is specifically about one theme. Trust God 100%. Other titles there, you might see love God and him only. It's the same thing. Give all of your trust, all of your focus to God. 
Because the enemy is trying to undermine this and take, a, take away your territory. And so Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, blah, 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 and quotes that section of scripture. In essence, telling the devil, you're trying to tempt me, but I am not going to use my best intellect because that would be a sin. I'm going to trust God 100% and him only. Satan then takes him to this tower of the temple, says, jump off. Because doesn't the Bible say in Psalm 92 that his angels won't let you get hurt? In fact, they won't even let you dash your toe against a stone. You're not even going to stub your toe. The devil knew at that time that the Jews' greatest myth of how you'd be able to tell when the Messiah came is that he would float from the sky and he would float and land right in the middle of the temple square. The angels catch you, Jesus. You're not only going to not stub your toe, but everyone will see who you are. Let me be your campaign manager. You're doing a really poor job at this suffering servant entrance. Jesus replies, don't tempt the Lord your God. Where's that come from? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Same section of scripture. Trust God 100%. Devil takes him from there, takes him to a high place, shows him all the kings of the world says, all this I'll give you. Just put my throne, then your throne, and then all of your creation, just like I told you in heaven. I'm smarter than you. I'm wiser than you. Let's do this, and I won't make you have to go through the cross. Jesus replies, where's that from? Deuteronomy 6.13. Jesus, all three responses when he's tempted to sin, goes back to one section of Scripture. And that one section of scripture continues to redefine what is sinning and what is not sinning by saying, do you trust God 100% with your life? Do you trust that he has your best interest in mind? Even if it doesn't make sense, you're going to trust God with your life. And at the end, the devil left him. Three temptations, all the same question. Are you going to do this on your own or are you going to be fully dependent upon God? Jesus then... As he's wrapping up his ministry, trying to help his disciples understand what sin is, says in chapter 16 of John, verse 9, about sin because people do not believe in me. So what is sinning? It's not believing that God has your best interest and not believing it to a level that you will trust him 100%. Next comment. I'm sorry. I don't know who's the next. Over here, I have waving. Yes. Um, On that note, my mom's testimony was that for the first 30 years of her life, she believed that she wasn't choosing to live for the devil. She just wasn't actively choosing to live for God. She was choosing to live for herself. And she said it wasn't until she had time with devotions and time in church and that she experienced Jesus for herself, that she realized you don't, you're either choosing one or you're serving one or the other by not making a choice to serve God. You're intentionally making a choice not to. And, and so I was raised not believing that it's about works, but that it's about an intentional, like how it says here about sin, because people do not believe in me. It's more than just, Oh, I'm choosing to do something bad, a transgression. It's, Mm -hmm. I need to be choosing um, to live an intentional life, yeah. um, accepting Jesus and tr- actively believing in him. That is beautiful. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yes. Who is next? Over here? 
Okay. I believe between believing and knowing God, there are differences. Yes. And secondly, since we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works differently in parts of the world. Okay. Because we're talking about belief in Him, belief in Jesus. There are a lot of parts in this world has no idea about Jesus at all, mm. or wrong idea about Jesus. Is the Holy Spirit works differently with, with these people compared to, let's say, us in the Bible lab? Yeah, I, I agree. And one day, we have to deal with that. We have to deal with what is it within God's character, what is his consistency when he looks at how do I save and who do I save? Exactly. Mike, you have a question. I think we're interested in the comment of why did Jesus actually have to leave? And I don't think we understand the Holy Spirit because mm -hmm. we don't understand why Jesus had to leave. We know that he did. It's a fact. Oh, he went to do this and that and all these things. But yeah. why? Yeah, exactly. Um, do you want the answer for that? the next six weeks we're going to answer that so don't miss a week thank you mike i can't pay you enough for that yes uh right here yes sir oh yes we talk about sin we are always every day exposed to sin yes and romans chapter 7 <laughs> reveals it yes there's there, there is a struggle there yes if i were in that when I am in that place, I need the Holy Spirit right there Absolutely. to help me. And Paul understood that, especially as he wrestles in chapter 7 between verses 14 and 21 when he says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And he goes back and forth so many times saying, I do and I don't do. I call it the rapper's chapter because it sounds like a rap. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Yes, Harvey. You talked about how does the Holy Spirit help? It reveals who God is. Yes. And as we see who God is, sin is clarified and our longing to obey and to respond and to have a relationship with him becomes overwhelming. Yes. And so the Holy Spirit in the revelation of God is just this incredibly powerful force yes. in our life. I, I completely agree, and that's what Jesus went in, into the next verse. Yes. If, if you look at verse 10 of chapter 16, it says about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no, no longer. What theologians say that Jesus is saying here is people didn't believe he really was God. And the fact that he not only died for humanity, but that he would raise again and join with his father, seated at the right hand of God the Father, was proof to the world that Jesus was God. And that this righteousness that everyone had been questioning had been proved. And the Holy Spirit's role here, that Jesus is saying, is to come into your heart and to convict your heart that Jesus is who he said he was. I had a great conversation. I, I, I hope you're okay with this, Joel. Joel and I have been working on next week. Joel's going to help me with a little segment this next week. It's incredible. You don't want to miss it. But in talking about this uh, and, and trying to help understand what is it about the Jesus story that's different from 
any other really good story moving story. And the difference is right here that when the Holy Spirit comes in, the conviction that takes place, what I was teasing Marilyn about earlier, the conviction that comes in is not about how bad you are. The conviction comes in that God is really who he says he is, that Jesus really came and his righteousness that he had, he's sharing with you as co-heirs with him of God's kingdom. And so what happens is when you come into contact with the Jesus story, the gospel, what happens is that the Holy Spirit comes in if you allow him, and in a way that when you try to explain it to your friends, your loved ones, your neighbors, they will never get it. Because it's a tangible experience, something that moves in you, that touches you. And that story, which is compelling in and of itself, has a life in and of itself that changes you, that you, you cannot be convinced otherwise, because the Holy Spirit brought power into that story, and it touched you in a way that it never could have. And that's what Jesus is speaking of in verse 10, that this righteousness, the world would be convicted because the Holy Spirit would help them be convicted in their hearts to see this is truth. So I agree with this gentleman in front of me. Harvey. Um, to me, the, everything we're discussing can be summed up in one word, and that is oneness. Yes. That the Holy Spirit's purpose is to bring us into oneness with God. Yeah. And that has demystified Christ's prayer to me in Gethsemane for his disciples. Mm. It was all about oneness, one yeah. with me, one with God. I'm yeah. one in you. The significance of that starts to really come through with everything that we've been discussing for me. Absolutely. I love it. Last comment, then we're going to move to the next verse. Jesus' entire life was a contradiction of the perceptions of everybody in, in, in Israel. Mm -hmm. He ate with sinners. He ate with tax collectors. He had a tax collector who was one of his apostles that followed him around. Yeah. And then he said... To love everyone, and that included your enemies. That was, the, that's not who the Messiah was. The Messiah is going to restore Israel. We're going to be the dominant people on the earth. Yeah. He said, "Destroy no. your enemy, not love your enemy." Is what the Messiah was yeah. thought to do. Yeah. And he meant loving the oppressive Romans. Mm -hmm. The Romans were absolutely despised. Yeah. And he said, "No, we have to love everyone." Yeah. And his message was essentially one of love. Absolutely. I love it. We're going to do a series called The Revolutionary Words of Jesus, where it talks specifically about that and many others that we just kind of read past, and we, and we don't see the character of God as revolutionary as it really is. Looking at verses 12 through 15, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This section is, uh, to some people, if, as you read through it, it's, it's almost as confusing as listening to that, that great monologue in the movie The Princess Bride where the guy says, so I'll definitely not take the cup in front of me. Uh, you probably did this, so I'll definitely not take the one in front of you. It feels that way, but when you break it down, 
It's very, very simple. The Holy Spirit is your greatest resource into the mind of God. You want to know the character of God? You want to be friends with God? The beautiful thing is they're not selfish. They're sharing. God the Father and Jesus are talking. Holy Spirit overhears. He says, okay, I'm going to go inspire the Bible lab today with another part of your character. While they're doing this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to reveal to some people there a little bit more about my character, something you want them to know. The interesting thing is looking at this, a lot of people have taken this section of scripture and unfortunately applied it in a self-centered way instead of looking at it as a Christ and Godhead revealing way. This scripture is about God revealing himself. It's not about God revealing what you want. I I don't know about you, um, but I've had a lot of people in my life come up and ask me this question. How do you discover God's will for your life? Remember in the yes and no questions, we were mixed there. There's almost half of you with I don't know. I don't know. And a lot of you there are saying, no, I, I don't think I've yet discovered God's will for my life. What are some of the common questions that people ask? What do they want to know when they say, how do you discover God's will for your life? How can I know God's will for my life? Just shout it out. What are some of the things that you think people want to know when they're asking, how do you know God's will for your life? Marriage. Who should I marry? Who else? Career. Where? What job? What, what school should I go to? Should I date this person? Should I dump this person? What, God, what are you calling me to do? If you look at the consistent questions, most of these questions are summed up by the age of 25. What should I do with my life occupationally, and who should I spend it with relationally? By the age of 25, I guess God doesn't have anything else for you to do, because it's God's will that you be happy with a great plum job, with a great salary, and with a a, a smoking spouse. I don't mean literally smoking, I mean good looking. (laughs) You Adventist. Looking, Looking at me like I lost my mind. But if you look at that, and what I've tried to to help people understand who ask me, how do you know God's will for my life? And I ask, well, what are you wanting to know? And they go through this list, and I say, God doesn't want you to know any of that. He doesn't care if you know, you know, his will that, hey, yeah, this is a good job, or hey, that's a good job. That's not his primary concern. God's will for your life is not that you'll be happy. God's will for your life is that you'll be saved. And so when you look at this section of scripture, God is saying the Holy Spirit can come into your life and let you know the will of God. And the will of God is what do you need to do today to help you take the next step tomorrow, to see the future step next week, to be able to step your way, much like Enoch, every day closer and closer to the kingdom of God. God's will is that he spend eternity with you. But many people treat it as if, can I, can I figure out all the things I need to do to pay the cover charge so that when I'm in heaven, I've got heaven? Quite frankly, like what has been stated about God knowing you or not knowing you, God's will is not to have a bunch of humans in heaven who don't know him, who don't care to spend any time with him. They just did what they had to do to get in. God's will 
that he works his Holy Spirit through your life is helping you understand how do I today take a step closer in relationship to God? Because if I know today and the Holy Spirit comes into my life today and into my mind and says, hey, why don't you, why don't you spend some time doing this? Why, why don't you just, while you're driving, turn off the radio and, and talk to God? Hey, why don't you, the very first thing you do when you get up is just sit on the edge of your bed and say, good morning, God. What, what is it that the Holy Spirit has in his will for you to help you be in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? That is the will of God. Uh, thank you so much for going on the next step of this journey with us. I want to invite you back for episode 21 because it's right within that episode that we take a look at how the Holy Spirit can bring power into your life. And to understand what power is available to us, we're going to be taking a look at the role of the Holy Spirit in relation to the Godhead. What does he do? How is his role different from the Father and the Son? It's going to be revolutionary, and I can't wait for you to join us for that. God bless you as you continue this beautiful relationship with God. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.